1: The Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. And my purpose today is to give you a deeper appreciation and understanding of God's fatherly love for you as you run this race that's marked out in front of you. As you are called on, as we've already seen in Hebrews 12 to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles you and run with endurance this race marked out in front of you, that you would realize that there is a father shepherd that's with you every step of the way who will not give you over to the destruction of your own natural heart and he will fight the sin within you and do whatever it takes to get you to heaven holy and blameless in His sight, that you would celebrate that love and embrace it and understand it as a mature, as a godly son or daughter of the living God, that you would understand your inheritance, the fact that you are a child of God by grace, and that you would understand this doctrine of the Lord's discipline for our sin. That's my purpose today. The context right in verse 4 it says in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The author is speaking to Christians and he's telling Christians that they have a struggle with sin. They knew it anyway. Don't you know it? We have a struggle with sin. It's a very strong word here in the Greek. We are in warfare against our sin. We have a struggle with sin. And it's a bitter fight, friends. And you know that you need all the help you can get. And you also need to know that all the help you need is fully provided for you in your Father's love for you. And you have a struggle for sin, struggle against sin, specifically because God has chosen to save you in stages. He has sovereign power over you completely, and when you die, instantaneously He will make you glorious and perfect in every way. He has chosen, however, not to do that right away, but to separate out justification and glorification and give us this Christian race that we are to run. And it's a warfare against sin because God has chosen to leave you in mortal bodies that are well-trained in sin habitual sin you've been training yourselves in sin from the moment you understood right and wrong so you have a bitter struggle and it's of the essence of the christian life to fight that good fight as the scripture reading that eric had us do in romans chapter 8 it says if you live according to the flesh you will die But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God, those are the children of God. Putting it together. If the Spirit is every day leading you into battle against your own flesh, then you're a child of God. And if He is not, then you are not. So you have a struggle with sin. That's what the author is stating here. And he's saying, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted. This is of the essence of our struggle with sin. We are to resist. It's a very strong word. We are to take our stand against sin. We are to take our stand as David's mighty man did in a field of lentils. And he fought until his hand froze to the sword. He just took his stand and he would not yield. We are to resist sin as our Lord and Savior did perfectly throughout his whole life. What a warrior he was. Remember how the night before he was crucified Jesus said the prince of darkness comes and he has nothing on me. He has no accusation he can make. He never succeeded. I resisted him at every turn in the road. Not just out in the desert now. But remember how at the end of that account it says, the devil left him until an opportune time. Oh, He kept assaulting our Lord, but not once did Jesus give in. He resisted even to the point of shedding his blood. He would rather die than sin. That's Jesus. He wrestled in Gethsemane until great drops of blood were coming out. That was his determination to not yield to sin. And then His actual blood came out through the floggings and the crown of thorns and through the wounds of the cross and through the lance. Poured out His blood. He would rather shed His blood than than to sin. And the author says here, You, O Hebrew Christians... Assaulted though you are, persecuted and tempted and tried though you are, though you are in the midst of a struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So your commitment to holiness is less than that of Jesus. And it's not been called on you yet to be a martyr for the faith. So he's urging them to stand firm. They have a struggle for sin. Now, that's the context of this sermon today. That's that's the issue. We have indwelling sin. Romans 7 describes it better than any other place in the Bible. The apostle Paul, called by God to be an apostle, a holy man who is writing in the midst of writing Romans, the book of Romans, filled with the Holy Spirit, said this truth about himself. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate I do now if I do what I do not want to do. It is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's your struggle if you're a child of God, if you are a Christian, that is your struggle. And it's not going to end until you are delivered from the body of death. You're going to have to fight every step of the way. And so this topic, the Lord's discipline, His loving discipline for His children, is essential to you finishing your journey. You must have it. Because without this, you will succumb to sin. You'll lose. And so the Lord must get active. And so this is a passage on on discipline, it's, it's all over the passage. Some passage you have to wonder, what is the uni- unifying theme here? You don't have to wonder with this one. Over and over it mentions, it uses the word again and again. Verse 5 and following, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? Verse 8, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Verse 9, moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Verse 10, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So then, uh, what's Hebrews 12, 4 through 11 about? <laughs> is it really a mystery? This is about the Lord's discipline for His children concerning sin. So what is it? What is the Lord's discipline? Well, here we come into God's sovereign, His providential control of every aspect of your life. God is sovereignly ruling over the universe and controls every aspect of your life. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. The book of Proverbs says the lot, the dice is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God sovereignly controls all things. He rules over all things. And he is ruling actively over all things to bring about for you his ultimate purpose in your life. Romans 8, 28 and 29 teaches that. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For, all right, so what is his purpose? God's sovereignly working, he's orchestrating events, he's in charge of everything, making it all happen. All right, what's his purpose? For those whom God foreknew, he predestined. To be conformed to the image of His Son. That's God's purpose for you if you're a child of God. His desire is to conform you to Christ. To make you just like Jesus. It's the very thing at the end of this message when it says that God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. We'll get to that again at the end of the message. But that is God's purpose. And so God is sovereignly orchestrating events... To bring about His end in your life. And His end is that you would be completely conformed to Jesus. And so God rules over all things. And He uses His rule, His sovereign rulership over all things. To shape you and mold you and make you like Jesus. And specifically in this context... He does it as a response to your sin when he feels it's necessary. When he looks at your life, at the trajectory of your life, as he looks at your heart, your motives, as he looks at your behavior, there are times that he gets involved, directly involved, and brings adverse circumstances, hardships into your life because he is giving you a divine spanking. He is chastising you. For your sin. And that's what this passage is about. He is spanking you. He is orchestrating some event in your life. To bring adverse circumstances. So that you will learn the lesson. He wants you to learn. And the lesson he wants you to learn. Is that sin is evil. And you should stop doing it. That's the central lesson. He wants you to hate it like he does. And so he orchestrates things. So this brings me to the question. Of what's fair game. For discipline. What is God allowed to do in your life? <laughs> See, once I say it like that, you know where I'm heading. What's God allowed to do in your life to make you holy? Answer, anything. And, and let's, let's make it quite simple. Anything you value in this world, in this world is fair game. Anything. It starts to bring chills up your spine when you think about it. One of the outcomes of this message is the fear of the Lord that brings wisdom. I think we should fear the Lord's discipline. If there's anything you value in this world, it's fair game for discipline as God thinks it best. So what what do I mean? Let's get specific. Uh, How about your health, your physical health? Yes, it's fair game. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, Psalm 32 describes his physical maladies. Day and night... Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. God was pressing on David physically. Sickness. For him personally. How about the physical health of those you love? Yes. Especially if you're in a position of authority or leadership. As David was, remember when he committed a sinful census? And God asked him to choose his penalty, remember? And he ended up choosing a plague to come on the people because God's mercies were great. He knew God and that was the right choice. But when other people started dying for David's sin, how did that make David feel? He cried out and said, let it be on me and on my family. Not on them. They're just sheep. What did they do? But God's hand was heavy on David by means of people he cared about. And so people you love, that can be fair game. Uh, Anything material, any of your material possessions, your house, your car, your clothes, your money, your bank accounts, your credit cards, your savings, your pension, anything like that is fair game. God can touch it. He can get to it. Don't think he can't get to it. God has if the federal government can do it. Friends, God can garnish your wages. God has the power to garnish your wages. God has the power to have you put your money in a purse with holes in it. And then all of a sudden you find that you're having to do repairs. Boy, one thing that bothers me as a car owner and as a homeowner is having to pay a lot of money to get back where I was a week ago. You know what I'm... Just money for status quo. I don't have any better car. I don't have a better house. I just now have a new well pump. I had a well pump before. I was happy with my well pump. It was fine. (laughs) Anything is fair game. Anything you may want for the future. Any ambition. Anything you set your hopes on. Something you may want to achieve. Maybe you're applying for a job. And you have good hopes of getting it. But it doesn't come through. Anything. And, And maybe in some ways, the most subtle of all, and I think the most frequent of all, that God may simply just withdraw from your life for a while. He's just not there when you go to pray. And you start sounding like the psalmist in Psalm 13 saying, How long, O Lord, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Where are you, O Lord? Where are you? Have you ever felt that? Could it be that you're under discipline for sin at those times? And that God is being far off to cause you to come back to him and to cry out for him and to yearn for him again. So that's those are the disciplines that God can bring. What do I mean by sin? Well, any violation of your conscience, any violation of the laws of God again. And and we know the scripture says our our sins are more numerous than the hairs of our head. We have many sins God doesn't always discipline in every case for every sin. It doesn't work that way. God is so wise in how he does it. But it could be a, an ongoing pattern of gossip or slander. It could be a, a lust pattern, an issue with internet pornography. I mean, it could, be, it could be an issue of bickering and arguing between spouses. It could be a matter in terms of your parenting, how you're, how you're parenting, your relationship with people in church. It could be an issue of forgiveness or lack of it. You're not forgiving somebody. Anything God chooses in which he mobilizes himself and and moves out. So that's what we're talking about when I'm talking about the Lord's discipline. Now there are two wrong reactions to discipline in the text. It says, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Quoting Proverbs 3.11. We'll get back to that in a minute. But these are two wrong reactions when the Lord disciplines you. The first wrong reaction that he mentions here is to make light of it. To make light of the Lord's discipline is to blow it off in one way or another. Well, how do we blow it off? Well, first, you may just not agree with the doctrine of this message. Say, God doesn't do that. You may have, you know, some health and wealth and prosperity gospel tendencies in which you think God only ever brings blessings the way people define them in this world. And he would never take away any of your earthly blessings. That's something only Satan will do. Friends, don't be deceived. That is not true. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He has that power. He can use Satan to do. Satan is just God's lackey on so many of these things. But it's God that's doing it. And Job knew that, didn't he? Job knew that it was God who was doing it. Do you ever notice how Satan just drops out of the story after chapter whatever, chapter 2? He's gone. It's, it's Job and God. And that's right. Because he was the one he was dealing with. And so, do not make light of it. Do not blow it off. But take it to heart. Believe first and foremost that God can do this kind of thing. That God actually frequently does this kind of thing. That God does discipline us for our sins. In one sense, you could just forget about it, just like the author says they're doing. You've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, etc. You forgot that God did this. Did you forget? Have you ever had a bunch of adverse th- things happen in your life? A, b- a bunch of things, and, and you may be actually fulfilling this very warning here at this point. You have forgotten God and all that. You've forgotten the sovereignty of God. You've forgotten the providence of God. That everything that happens to you comes through God's hands. And so you've become, in one sense, a practical deist. Those are those philosophers slash theologian types that thought that God created the universe and wound it up like a clock and just set it running and just stays out of it. Do you know how many times we Christians behave as practical deists? Things happen, it just never occurs to us to go back to God and say, God, are you doing this to me? Is this something that you're doing? Is there a reason? Is there a purpose? Is something going on in my life? So we become practical deists by making light of it. Another way you may make light of this is by acknowledging that you may have sinned, etc. But uh, dealing quickly and lightly with your sin as the false prophets did in jeremiah's day these people treat the wound of my these prophets treat the wound of my people as though it were light not serious they say peace peace and there is no peace and so sometimes we make light of the lord's discipline by not standing under it for a while and by trying to get out of it quickly back to happy times are here again hallelujah when god may actually want you to stay under it for a while and humble yourself and grieve and mourn and wail and change your laughter in the morning and your joy to gloom, James chapter 4, part of the Christian life. There's a time to do that where you just humble yourself under God and you don't make light of it. You take it seriously. God, what are you doing in my life? And you listen. And then you deal honestly with the sins that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind. So that's one error, is making light of the Lord's discipline. Then there's an opposite error mentioned here. And that is to lose heart when he rebukes you. These are a different kinds of people. The first people are just hard headed, just plowing through it all, or they think they're just having bad luck or a bad day. No, but these people, they know it has to do with God, but they read the wrong thing out of it. They become depressed. They're crushed by it. They lose heart, that's the biblical language for become depressed. And as these hard things happen, they don't go back to God appropriately. They just say things like this, God has forsaken me. God doesn't love me anymore. If God really loved me, these kinds of things wouldn't be happening to me. And so they get depressed and they get discouraged and their arms grow weak and their knees grow weak and they can't continue in the Christian life and they get crushed and discouraged by it. And they come to the shockingly wrong conclusion based on this text I can't be a child of God if he's doing this to me. It's exactly the wrong conclusion. But they say it, and they're so depressed, and so that's the opposite error. Two wrong reactions. To discipline, at that point, a person has forgotten the doctrine of justification by faith apart from works. Has forgotten that all of Christ's righteousness has been imputed to them. They're perfectly righteous in God's sight apart from any works of the law. They've forgotten these things and now they're in the depths of despair and murky, forgetting that they're going to heaven when they die. (laughs) That they're children of God and that they're more than conquerors. God's just giving them a spanking because of their sin. And it's actually, frankly, a great encouragement. This is the encouragement of discipline. How he says in verse 5, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. You've forgotten that. Oh, how beautiful is that. The whole, whole epistle is called to be, in, in Hebrews 13, a word of encouragement. paraclesis. The paraclete is the comforter, the counselor, the, the one called alongside to help. This letter is like that. It comes alongside us and it, and it, it comforts us, it counsels us, it rebukes us, it warns us. All of that's paraclesis. That's what the word means here. And you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, it speaks to you as sons. And he, then he quotes Proverbs. It's marvelous. It's marvelous book of Proverbs is you know, a series of, of brief statements written, by most of them by King Solomon. Much of the form of the language is of a father addressing a son. So you could imagine at the human level, maybe it was Solomon talking to Rehoboam, trying to get him ready for his reign. But it's it's in the canon, it's in the scripture, and therefore ultimately, as the author does here, he says, you know, this is ultimately about God talking to you, addressing you as sons and daughters of the living God. And and notice the tense of the verb here. This Proverbs 3.11 is presently addressing you right now as sons. It's talking to you and it's calling you a son. My son. God's speaking to you like that because he loves you. He cherishes you. You're one of his adopted children. And so these hardships that God's bringing into your life, it's not that he doesn't love you. It's that he does love you. That's exactly why he's doing it. It's because of his deep love for you. And His knowledge that sin is a deadly poison and it's hurting you and it's destroying your life in many ways and He wants you to be free of it. And He will make you free by His sovereign power when you die. But He wants you to learn to fight now and to stand up and be strong and take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and learn how to fight and be like Him and hate sin the way He does. He wants to train you. But it's not at all that you're not one of the... Sons and daughters of God. Because these things are happening to you. Not at all. He loves you. And he's addressing you. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to penetrate to the dividing of soul and spirit. Joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so God is speaking to you. My sons. Do not make light of my discipline. And do not lose heart when I rebuke you. He's talking to you directly by the Scripture. And so this is greatly encouraging. And so he says in verse 6, the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. That's a very strong word. It's the same word used in reference to Jesus' scourging. He scourges. So he can bring some very hard, hard things in your life. I was talking to somebody recently and uh, saying there's two statements we commonly make that are, I think, never true. Okay? Okay. Isn't that good? The things you come to church to learn. Two things, statements you commonly make and they're never true. I think pretty much never true. Okay? Number one, I did the best I could. And number two, I can't take much more of this. God knows how much you can take and you can take more than this. He is carefully measuring out these disciplines and He knows what you can take. And He will not crush you beyond what you can bear. But He brings this discipline because you must have it. Verse 7 and following. Endure hardship as discipline. Anything difficult, anything hard, anything that opposes, endure it as discipline. God is treating you as sons. The word treating is a very strong word. God is dishing it out to you. God is measuring out this discipline to you in a very wise and loving way. Never forget... The supernatural gentleness of Jesus. As he says in Matthew 12, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. We're talking about this at men's Bible study. A bruised reed is a reed that's just hanging by a few green threads. Reeds are weak anyway, aren't they? What did you go out into the desert to see? Speaking of John the Baptist. A reed swayed by the wind? No. John the Baptist was no reed swayed by the wind. So reed is a picture of weakness. Well, what then is a bruised reed but a picture of, of supreme weakness? And Jesus is able to bind that up and to heal it and strengthen. He knows how to do that. He is gentle in his discipline. But he's effective. He's effective. I remember one time we, we used to use... I don't even know if I should tell this story. Well, we used to use Tabasco sauce to train for verbal sins. All right? Verbal sins—you know what they might be. Not that my kids ever committed any, but actually they kind of have to for this story. But anyway, um, and we were giving them this, and at one point one of my kids said, "Um, "Dad, yes, um, we all like it. We we like it. It's—it's not effective." I don't think they said those words, but that was the message. And I appreciated the thoughtfulness of letting me know. The rest of the story I'll tell another time on what I did about that. Cranked it up to the 10th level. (laughs) Went to the produce aisle and found something. Never mind. Um, (laughs) But I did not abuse them with that thing that I found. Uh, Let's just move on. But the fact is... God must bring you hardship. It must be something difficult or it isn't discipline. It's got to be something that hurts. All I'm saying is God isn't going to break you with it. So the Lord disciplines every one of his children. The text says it very plainly. If you are one of God's children, you have been disciplined and you will continue to be disciplined. The choices of God's saints, the heroes of church history, all of them have been disciplined by God. We don't teach perfectionism here. Everybody needs discipline. And the most mediocre and even below average Christians, God disciplines them too. Everyone that is his child, he disciplines. All of them. Conversely, God disciplines no one who is not his child. This is a very, very sober thought. God does not discipline those who are not his children. It says, if you do not undergo discipline and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So uh, this is as serious and sober-minded thing as I can ever say to you. The most terrifying thing that God can do to anybody in this world, in this present world age, the most terrifying thing God can do to anyone is to give you over to your sins. There is nothing worse that God can do. My spirit will not strive with man forever, he said before the flood. I'm not going to fight with you forever. And so three times in Romans 1, Romans 1 God gave them over to sexual immorality, to the degrading of the body. Romans 1.26, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Romans 1.28, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. It's a dreadful judicial hardening that God brings on and is the fulfillment of Romans 9.18. God has mercy on those He wills to have mercy and He hardens those whom He wills to harden. And so it is a great mercy to be a child of God and God not give you over. God is saying, I will never give up this fight for you because I love you too much. And I'm going to keep disciplining you. I'm going to keep training you. I'm never going to give you over to your sin. You may be so stubborn. You may be so hard-headed. You may have a stiff neck. But I'm going to win in the end. And I'm going to just keep loving you. And I'm going to keep disciplining you. And if you just make it harder for yourself, well, you're just going to make it harder for yourself. But I'm never going to give you over to your sin. But here I just must warn you. If you are outside of Christ right now, if you are here today, you are invited by a friend perhaps. Maybe you're here for the Jobs for Life graduation, and praise God that you're here. But especially for this moment, that you may hear that you're in grave danger and that there is a way to escape condemnation because God giving you over to your sin is not the worst thing he can do to you. The worst thing he can do to you is send you to hell forever and ever. But that's in the next world. And the one leads to the other. But there is a savior there is a savior praise God and all you need to do is call on the name of Jesus and he will forgive you of all your sins and all of his perfect righteousness will be imputed to you by simple faith and your sins credit to him he died on the cross in your place and you have eternal life and you'll be adopted into the family of God and then he'll start disciplining you for your sins when needed. Come to Christ. Don't leave this building without knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the most important thing. Our earthly fathers did it, says the author here. We had, verse 9, human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. We understood why they did it. I know that there are abusive fathers in this world. I know that that happens. But a good father, a loving father, will discipline his children. Do it with tenderness, so do it with wisdom, with restraint, with consistency. He will do it. But this is a how much more argument. If the earthly father did it for a little while as he thought best, as seemed best to him, not perfect, just as he thought best, how much more then should we submit to the father of our spirits, our heavenly father, and live? That's what he's saying. So what ultimately is the purpose of... Of discipline. Look at verse 10. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. Again, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The purpose of discipline is to train you to hate evil as He does. To turn away from it in genuine repentance and live a new kind of life. He wants you to remember the harshness of the discipline, remember and stop doing that sin. That's the purpose of it. He wants you to share in His holiness. He wants you to be conformed to Christ and be righteous like He is, to be holy like He is. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, speaking of Christ, says you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. God wants us to do that too. And so He trains us. And He trains us because some things are just too hard for us to handle on our own. We prove that consistently we prove it. And so when we can't get hold of something and we stubbornly go on in a certain way, God intervenes, He interferes, He gets involved, and He disciplines us so that we may be holy. So what then is the proper response to discipline? Well, first, don't fall into those opposite errors. Don't make light of it. Don't be a practical deist. If you're going through some hard things in your life... Go to God privately in your prayer closet. Get on your knees and say, God, these following things have happened to me this week. These are hard for me. It's what's going on right now. It's hard financially or it's hard physically. I mean, you know, or this is going on in my family. This is happening at work. This is what happened with my car. And I'm finding this hard. God, are you disciplining me for sin? And then just get quiet. So I did a couple of weeks ago. You just get quiet. And you say search me oh God. Search me and know my heart. And show me. If there's anything in me. That's offensive to you. And then whatever the Lord. The Holy Spirit brings to your light. He wants. Brings to light. He wants you as I said two weeks ago. To lay it aside. These nets that are entangling you. So that you can run this race with endurance. This is a private discipline. Something you do in your, on your own. He commands you here. To submit to your heavenly father. So humble yourself under it. don't try to rush out from under the discipline say lord you bring in this discipline i'm going to stand under it i'm not going to murmur against you i'm not going to complain i'm not going to rail against you or act like you're treating me unfairly where is god in all of this i'm not going to do it. i'm going to quiet myself i'm going to be quiet under this discipline i'm going to let it have, have its full impact on me i want to be holy like jesus is holy i want you to do your work in me so it says how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live And be trained by this discipline. The harvest of righteousness is what you want. Seek and yearn for a harvest of righteousness in your life. And say, okay, God, it's going to be a hard road to get there. But I want it. And whatever it takes to make me holy, please do it. And I'm seeking this now. And I'm not afraid to pray this. So, Lord, bring whatever hardship in my life you need to bring. So that I'll be holy like you are. Pray that honestly. And fear the Lord's discipline. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I think the Lord means for us to learn from discipline and not want it to happen again. Isn't that, doesn't that make sense? And so we go through certain things and we should, we should fear the Lord's holiness and His discipline. So, you know, these things are precious to me and I want to protect them. I can't give myself into sin here. I'm endangering my family. I'm endangering my possessions. I'm endangering my health here. I can't give into this sin. I fear the Lord. He's going to bring the rod on me. And I don't want that to happen. I know He'll do it out of love, but if I judge myself, He won't need to do it. And so I'm going to submit to that. But ultimately realize God does this for our good. He does it because He loves us. He does it with gentleness and wisdom. And walk in confidence that your Father will get you to heaven. Close with me in prayer. Father, thank You for this time that we've had to study in Your Word. I praise You for it. Lord, I pray that we would take to heart the lessons of your fatherly chastisements and disciplines, O Lord. Help us to embrace this doctrine and to not make light of it and to not lose heart under it, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build his kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians